Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. On the ballot in the Great Lakes State. Good morning. I'm Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray. It's Thursday, December 28th, 2023, and here's what we have for you this hour. The Michigan Supreme Court ruled that former President Donald Trump can be on the ballot during the upcoming primaries. Meanwhile, Republicans in Colorado are appealing the ruling that pulled Trump from the state's ballot. The Secretary of State and other Biden administration officials met with the president of Mexico in an effort to stop the surge of migrants at the southern border. The White House unveiled the final aid package of the year to Ukraine. And are you tired of being asked to tip everywhere you go? You're not alone. People are sick of seeing requests to tip pop up everywhere from the dry cleaners to bridal boutiques and even self-checkout machines and have decided that while they'll still tip and places where tipping has always existed, like restaurants, they are less likely to be as generous. Wall Street Journal reporter Rachel Wolf with more on how the tipping backlash is in full force later in the hour. Colorado Republican Party said it's asking the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn a ruling that barred former President Donald Trump from appearing on the state's 2024 ballot. Earlier this month, the Colorado Supreme Court, in a 4-3 vote, overturned a lower court ruling that allowed Trump to appear on the ballot as a presidential candidate. The initial ruling said a president is not among the officials subject to disqualification on a ballot. The case is being appealed based on three main arguments, whether the president is among those officials subject to disqualification by the so-called insurrection clause, whether Section 3 is self-executing, meaning that it allows states to remove candidates from a ballot in absence of any congressional action, and whether denying a political party the ability to choose a candidate of its choice in a presidential primary and general election violates the First Amendment right of association. Meanwhile, earlier in the day, Michigan's top court ruled that Trump can appear on that state's primary ballot. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson This is a decision in Michigan that only applies to the primary and that indeed, if there's a general election question, uh, then there will be an opportunity potentially if plaintiffs bring a case to revisit. The case is one of a handful across the U.S. weighing whether Trump should be barred from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Trump's legal team has argued the challenges are anti-democratic attempts to prevent voters from deciding the next occupant of the White House. Top Biden administration officials met in urgent talks with Mexico's president yesterday on ways to slow the record pace of illegal crossings at the U.S. southern border, just as congressional negotiators raced to reach a deal to tighten America's immigration laws. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met in the afternoon with Mexico's president and members of his cabinet, joined by Homeland Security Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and others. The meeting, which lasted more than two two hours, took place at a pivotal time for President Biden. Illegal crossings into the U.S. climbed to new highs with arrests on several occasions surpassing 10,000 a day, spurring sharp criticism from Republicans and a growing concern from Democrats headed into the 2024 elections. Border points have been swamped, as have law enforcement and immigration officials by the surge. Texas Sheriff Brad Coe on Fox News. We need to stand firm and not and tell Mexico we are not going to allow these caravans and B, we're not going to give in to the sanctions. Over the weekend, a migrant caravan with more than 5,000 asylum seekers set out from Mexico's southern Chiapas state toward the U.S. border. 
The State Department announced a $250 million Ukraine military aid package yesterday, the last such package the U.S. will provide to Ukraine until Congress approves the Biden administration's funding requests. More now from this morning's Dom Savino. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said in a statement, the package provides arms and equipment under previously directed drawdowns for Ukraine. Last week, the Biden administration said it had one more Ukraine security package to announce this year, but it would be the final one the U.S. could provide without lawmakers' approval. The White House has asked Congress for a supplemental package, including more than $60 billion in aid for Ukraine. But that legislation is currently stalled as negotiators try to find a compromise on border security and immigration policy, both of which are key GOP demands as part of any deal. The administration has repeatedly warned its ability to provide aid to Ukraine was rapidly dwindling, forcing the Pentagon to stretch what little money it had left into smaller aid packages. Mike? Thanks, Dom. The U.S. has sent more than $46 billion in military aid to Ukraine since Russia's invasion began in February of 2022. Coming up next, taking down the temperature in American politics. Hey, it's Gordon Deal, your go-to HelloFresh holiday buddy. Let me tell you, these HelloFresh guys are my secret weapon for a chill holiday. Picture this, skipping those crazy grocery store lines and dodging expensive takeout. Each HelloFresh box is a treasure trove of time and savings, even for a lame in the kitchen like me. It's hassle-free with no waste, no stress. The ingredients are perfectly portioned, so I'm not blowing cash or buying too much. Honestly, it's been a game-changer in these hectic times. With HelloFresh, I'm cutting costs and still savoring amazing home-cooked meals. It's like my holiday magic in a box. Discover the HelloFresh magic yourself. Go to HelloFresh.com slash GordonFree and use code GordonFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash GordonFree with code GordonFree. Delight in the tastes of the season from America's number one meal kit at HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com slash GordonFree. Gordon's off this week. I'm Mike Gavin. We thank you for checking in. As we get ready to turn the page on this year and head into the 2024 election year, heated rhetoric between parties is at an all-time high. In response, several groups are working to bring people together from all sides, not necessarily to change anyone's mind on the issues, but to at least get them to have a civil conversation about it. More on that now from Aaron Zittner, reporter and editor at The Wall Street Journal. Aaron, it sounds like a great idea in theory. How did this come about? Well, there are tens and tens of thousands of Americans who are participating in these uh, efforts by various groups to bring the two parties together. There's just a big group in this country that calls itself the exhausted majority. They're just tired of politics, tired of the coarseness, and they think that partisan animosity has gotten so bad that it's a grave danger to this country, that we can't come together to solve the big problems that we have to solve. Uh, So there's an appetite for this kind of thing. And organically, a number of groups uh, uh, created themselves, a lot of them after the 2016 election. They have names like Braver Angels, Listen First, More in Common. I mean, a lot of these pre-existed the election of 2016, but a lot happened since then. And, you know, this is a very big task they have, because partisan animosity and the anger in politics is just so formidable that um, they've got, you know, a tough road in trying to convince a country of 300 million 
to tone it down and find ways to come together. Right. And some of these groups are seeing a lot of support from donors who also think that politics has gotten too nasty. Talk about that a little. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, it might be true or it might be cynical to say that the forces of incivility, they're like the waves pounding on the beach every day. I mean, partisan uh, news media, social media, uh, coarse rhetoric from people at the very top of each political party is out there every day. And these groups could feel like grains of sand on the beach being pounded by just the kind of overall tone and tenor of politics. But there are some things that kind of suggest some momentum for them. One is, again, tens and tens of thousands of people have participated in various kind of uh, bridging, come together uh, uh, programs intended to bring red and blue together. And yes, there are serious, uh, there's serious interest from the philanthropic community. One set of donors alone which includes the foundation started by Charles Koch, who's the libertarian conservative industrialist, you know, might know about the Koch brothers and Americans for Prosperity. They're Mm -hmm. big conservative donors. They've come together with some very liberal groups, and they've pledged to raise $100 million for these civic society organizations. They've already raised about $40 million and given away about $30 million. And the uh, other elements that suggest some momentum here are there's a big uptick in, in interest among uh, academic researchers, social scientists, who are out there testing different advertising messages, different uh, online interactive techniques, and different kind of rules for in-person conversations to kind of come up with some metrics and guidelines on what works best uh, in lowering partisan hostility and how best to kind of do the marriage counseling of bringing red and blue together. And the final thing I'll say that suggests some seriousness here is there are serious players in the policy debates in national politics who are looking at this. And, yeah, there are governors involved, but, you know, there are people who are in it who aren't in it for self-promotion. So one person who I didn't get a chance to include in the story is a top person at a group called Numbers USA. They're a conservative organization that um, – lobbies on immigration and favors immigration restrictions for the most part, they're saying, hey, we're able to kill the things on immigration that we don't like, but we're never able to pass what we do like because things have gotten too toxic. And they've come to one of these groups, Braver Angels, to try to learn about their blind spots and how they might start a dialogue that works. In my story, I talk about Dr. Francis Collins. He was head of the National Institutes of Health during the COVID crisis, and until recently was the acting science advisor to President Biden. In his personal capacity, he said, look, you know, uh, I just don't understand. We we invented a vaccine. We, we set out to save millions of lives during COVID, and a lot of the country rejected it. I personally have a blind spot. I need to figure out how to communicate science better. And he came to Braver Angels. So there's signs that real people and real money and many Americans are getting engaged here. So I can guess what they are, but what are some of the biggest challenges to this movement succeeding? Well, there are a few. One, again, is just the relentlessness and coarseness of our dialogue. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the power that's underappreciated in politics, the power of group identity. So many Americans are now kind of just built into their identity that they're a Democrat or a Republican or a Trump supporter or a Democratic supporter. And and once you identify with a group, it's easier to demonize the other party and the other group. 
Makes sense. Thanks, Aaron. Aaron Zittner, reporter and editor at The Wall Street Journal based in Washington, D.C. 20 minutes now after the hour. Here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has met with Mexican President Andres Obrador for a productive meeting to limit the surge of illegal migrations at the U.S. border. Mexican officials say planned tactics to address the situation include cracking down on smugglers, increasing law enforcement at the southern border of Guatemala, and issuing fewer humanitarian, humanitarian permits that facilitate faster travel through Mexico. The U.S. administration leaving the meeting with nothing but positive things to say. We were really uh, pleased to hear from Mexico. They came prepared to, to share a plan with us on how they are taking the work that they are already doing on key enforcement actions and building on that. Um, that was really aligned with the things that we've been focused on as well. Border crossings have hit record numbers with arrests surpassing 10,000 per day. Number two. The Colorado Republican Party reveals it has asked the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the state's ruling to remove former President Donald Trump from Colorado's 2024 ballot. This news comes after Michigan's Supreme Court ruled that Trump can be on the state ballot during the upcoming primaries. Michigan Secretary Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson told ABC News she put politics aside because she knows her role's legal limits. And the court affirmed my decision in that regard that unless uh, the U.S. Supreme Court rules otherwise, uh, the former president, Donald Trump, will be on our primary ballot. Number three. The U.S. State Department has issued a $250 million Ukraine military aid package. The package, which is the final of 2023, will include arms and equipment such as air defense munitions and more than 15 million rounds of small arms ammunition. A Minnesota woman has filed a malpractice lawsuit claiming she was left disfigured after her dentist performed more than 30 procedures during a single appointment in July of 2020. This includes eight crowns, four root canals, and 20 fillings. She is seeking $50,000 in damages. A Wheel of Fortune contestant got into a snippy spat with host Pat Sajak when she couldn't solve the bonus round puzzle. Let's just say Pat got the last word. Blocking our... Mm. Working our ah no. <laughs> yeah, you're, you weren't gonna get it. Voicing just, our opinion. Come yeah. on. Oh, just a little late. <laughs> Come on. What kind of puzzle is that? <laughs> it's a puzzle you didn't solve. Uh, I don't know if I want to see. Well, you have to. Oh. The contestant missed out on an additional $40,000 by losing the bonus round. She still took home over $25,000. Yeah, so she's doing okay. But I love this Pat Sajak in his final year before he retires. Just just letting it fly. That filter is falling. Yeah, I love every second of it. Bring on more unfiltered unfiltered Sajak. (laughs) Thanks, Nicole. Coming up next, why we're so tired of tipping. Well, maybe you're part of this trend. New data shows people are cutting back on tipping, frustrated by nonstop requests for gratuities. More now from our own Gordon Deal. We're speaking with Rachel Wolf, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Her story is called The Tipping Backlash Has Begun. All right, so kind of set that scene. Which spot here, kind of trend-wise? People are fed up with tipping and officially starting to tip less as a result. And why? What are we sensing from the folks who have given some feedback here? People are sick of seeing requests to tip pop up everywhere from the dry cleaners to bridal boutiques and even self-checkout machines and have decided that 
while they'll still tip in places where a thing has always existed, like restaurants, they are less likely to be as generous in the new places that tipping has popped up. You got some stats from uh, from from this this payroll group, Gusto. What what do the numbers tell us? So as of November, service sector workers and non-restaurant leisure and hospitality jobs made one dollar and twenty eight cents an hour in tips on average, and that's down seven percent from the dollar and thirty eight cents an hour they made a year prior. I think it was a woman in your story said something like it. It just doesn't feel as good to tip right now. Did she did she exactly. explain her situation? So I spoke to somebody named Mary Medley who described herself as a universally prolific tipper back in July. She said she was happy to do it, that it wasn't her job to figure out where the tips ended up, but if there was a way to support a business, she was going to do it. Uh, But then when I just spoke to her a few weeks ago, she said that it feels not as good to tip now that it's popping up everywhere. And so she said that what started out to be a way to acknowledge excellent personal service feels like it's become a way to help supplement worker compensation. We're speaking with Rachel Wolf, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Her story is called The Tipping Backlash Has Begun. Somebody in your story, too, said there's a cost to this tipping slowdown, meaning what? So uh, a labor and workforce professor at NYU, Jonathan Morduck, said that uh, we're in a situation where workers still want and expect and need tips to some degree. So, you know, we still have people in service sector jobs who are relying on tips to provide for their families. And so when we have a combination of consumer frustration and worker reliance, it's a bad recipe. Wall Street Journal reporter Rachel Wolf with our own big tipper, Gordon Deal. You're listening to This Morning, America's First News. Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray. On this Thursday, December 28th, here are just some of the stories making headlines today. Republicans appeal to the Supreme Court to put Trump back on the ballot in Colorado. The White House meets with Mexico to try to stop the surge of migrants at the border. A judge has temporarily blocked an Idaho law banning gender-affirming care. Tom Smothers, half of the Smothers Brothers comedy duo, has died at 86. The Pro Football Hall of Fame announced its modern-era finalists, including Antonio Gates, Rodney Harrison, and Julius Peppers. And the fisherman who helped make a miracle rescue. That story in about 20 minutes. Just as some hard-hit areas of the country started to get a grip on the fentanyl crisis, another illicit drug is ravaging through communities. It's xylazine, also known on the street as Trank, and the effects on those taking it are often devastating and deadly. More on that from Julie Wernow, health and medicine reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Julie, you traveled to North Carolina to report on Trank and its grip on that part of the country. Let's start with the basics. For those who don't know, what is Trank? Trank is basically um, a mix of fentanyl, um, a very powerful opioid, and an animal tranquilizer called xylazine that typically you would, you know, use to sort of tranquilize large animals that's been um, finding its way into the illicit drug supply. And how long has that been happening? It's just the last couple of years, right? Well, xylazine's actually been around for a quite a long time, particularly in uh, the Philadelphia area, and really wreaking havoc um, on that part of the country. The thing that's changed in the last couple of years is that we're starting to see Trank find its way uh, to other parts of the country that are already dealing with, you know, the horrible difficulties of the fentanyl crisis, and suddenly this new drug is showing up and causing all kinds of uh, complications, including these 
horrible wounds that, um, I mean, some people describe them as rotting flesh. Um, it's, it's a really difficult complication that, you know, makes it much harder to, to fight uh, the crisis that we have. Yeah, some of the pictures in your story were, uh, were just awful. And uh, the rise of Trank comes where there had been some progress in North Carolina against uh, the fentanyl problem. That's right. You know, they, they're trying all kinds of things, you know, handing out opioid uh, overdose reversal medications and practicing kind of basic harm reduction, um, trying to obviously spread treatment, et cetera. And we were seeing some of those overdose rates come down a bit. Um, and then uh, just about a year ago, uh, there were some folks there who started to see their first um, samples of illicit drugs that they were testing show up with xylazine in it. And then just recently, you know, it, it's really overtaken some parts of the drug supply. In the county that I visited, Robison, um, 75% of the samples now have xylazine. And when you go there and actually talk to people on the ground, um, it's quite obvious. Um, you know, pretty much every drug user that we encountered there had had some kind of um, wound or their partners were having these wounds and they were just, you know, terrified, honestly. And what is it about Robeson County, North Carolina in particular, that makes it especially vulnerable to the scourge of drugs like fentanyl or xylazine? To be fair, you know, they, they don't have a lot of support for the drug crisis there, which is, is fairly common. You know, sometimes when you kind of hear the fights in Washington about the drug crisis, you kind of get the sense that maybe, you know, we're deploying lots of people and money to places that are really suffering the most. But usually those are the places that um, might have the least support, actually. And so in this county, we had essentially this one woman, Carissa, who was kind of like holding up the entire county with a van and, you know, a couple packs of cigarettes and some supplies, just driving around um, trying to help people. That is, you know, largely what it looks like in a lot of places. So, you know, the, the drug supply changed. They don't really have very many people there who are able to, to manage the situation, and it just is everywhere now. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Carissa. Why don't you talk perhaps a little bit more about her, uh, who you followed her around, and she's kind of taken it upon herself to help people who have been dealing with this addiction. That's right. Um, her name's Carissa Collins Cattle. Uh, she is someone who is in recovery herself from drug use um, for the last nine years, and she she worked for a harm reduction organization that allowed her to kind of take Narcan and needles and wound care supplies around to drug users. Um, following her is quite an experience. You know, you see that she's she's checking in on people in tents, people who are living um, in hotels, people who are, you know, who might look like you and me, but have a serious drug problem that they're dealing with and many people that they've lost. And she just has them all in her phone and sort of works 24 hours a day. Um, while we were there, one of her participants died of an overdose um, in the couple of weeks since we visited. She's had two others die. Um, it's pretty, you know, rough work out there uh, that she says she does because it, it gives her some meaning um, after the many years that she felt that she was looking for help and didn't didn't find it. Very tough, but very important story to report. Thanks, Julie. Julie Wernow, health and medicine reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Coming up, somebody who actually won big on one of those holiday lottery scratch-offs.
Well, if you're tuning in for the first time this week, I'm doing my best to fill Gordon's considerable shoes on the more serious side of the news this week and filling in on what we affectionately call the second news around here. (laughs) (laughs) The mic drop is our own Dom Savino. Good morning, Dom. Good morning, Mike, and uh, welcome to the sunnier side of the show. (laughs) Well, we all have our Christmas traditions, caroling, potlucks, board games, but I'm not sure yours has ever been as lucrative as this one. A man in Maryland is $30,000 richer after winning that prize in a scratch-off. It's all thanks to an annual Yuletide tradition with his friend, exchanging lottery tickets on Christmas Eve. The man says he and his buddy are longtime lotto players, and they've had a winner or two over the years, but nothing like this. The winner says when he scratched off the five numbers and saw they all matched, he initially didn't believe he had won it big, but his friend scanned the barcode, it showed up as a winner, And the man says he and his friend then started yelling and did not stop for quite a while. Yeah, I can imagine. Congratulations to them. I don't want to get, like, angry at them, but I have to say, (laughs) I don't know how many of those lottery scratch-offs I've done over the years. I used to get those. There was was an aunt of mine that gave all of us, all the cousins, a big pile of lottery scratch-offs for, you know, probably a decade. And I won a grand total of, I don't know, $5 in all those years, (laughs) scratching off all those tickets. So, you know, I'm not sure if I'm uh, a little bit jealous or if I should just be happy for this guy. Well, I I will say, though, the friend, front-runner, for friend of the year oh yeah for sure unbelievable yeah good good for those guys and also there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance one sports better recently found out what happens when you end up on the wrong side of that line it centers around an nfl survivor pool run by circa a las vegas casino for those unfamiliar in a survivor pool you have to pick one nfl team to win a game each week get it right you survive if your team loses you're out and you can't pick the same team twice in one season The survivor pool at Circa is big bucks, with a jackpot of more than $9 million. And entering the week before Christmas, the casino gave the remaining 13 players a chance to chop that pot. In other words, pay each of the survivors $400,000 out of the grand prize. All but one of the participants agreed. The holdout was 27-year-old professional better Sean Perry, who proclaimed afterwards, quote, with all respect, I'm the best better in the world. I'll see you at the finish line. Avid listeners of the Mic Drop are smart people, and they know what happens next. Fast forward to the weekend of Christmas. Perry picked the Denver Broncos to beat the New England Patriots at home. The Broncos were a touchdown favorite to win, but the Pats hit a walk-off field goal to win on the road 26-23. And just like that, the best better in the world was out of the survivor pool with no money to show for it. <laughs> I wonder if he always thought that he was the best better in the world or if maybe you know, as the season was rolling along, his, his hubris started to grow. Or if he's the kind of guy who just walks around always saying he was the best better in the world before this. I mean, I can understand why you would be confident after 14 or 15 weeks in a row of getting the right pick. Right, but- yeah. A little bit of humility might have done him some good. Yeah, I wonder how much they put in for this for this pool. Do we know? Is it like hundreds of dollars, thousands it's of dollars? thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars, yes, okay. The, the initial entry pool was uh, more than 9,000 people. Yeah, so this is not probably not this guy's first rodeo, and he should have known better. Yes, he <laughs> apparently has won millions playing poker, but oh, he has okay. not won millions playing survivor pools, at All least right. not yet. Stick to poker. Thanks very much, Dom. <laughs> Coming up next, another reason why your pets could be good for your health. 
Gordon's off. I'm Mike Gavin. We thank you for tuning in. In case you needed another reason to own a pet, your dog or cat may help slow down your cognitive decline as you get older. According to a study published this week, a large cohort study of adults ages 50 and older living in the UK showed pet owners had less verbal memory and verbal fluency declines compared to people who lived alone without a pet. The elderly population of the UK, like the US, is expected to grow and life expectancy is set to increase, posing concerns about public health demands as their cognitive functions decline. Already, more than 1 in 10 Americans ages 65 and older have Alzheimer's, the most common form of dementia. The CDC estimates that the number of Americans with Alzheimer's will more than double over the next 35 years. Here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and other U.S. officials have met with Mexican President Obrador to discuss tactics to limit illegal migrations at the U.S. border. The Mexican government says they plan to crack down on smugglers, increase law enforcement at Guatemala's southern border, and will issue fewer humanitarian permits. So traveling through Mexico is more difficult. Congressman Byron Donald shares his own addition to the proposals on Fox News. House Republicans have a plan. We've had one for a very long time. I have a plan that adds to this. It creates a, actually an exit biometric system, something the 9-11 Commission recommended that we do post 9-11. The federal government still hasn't completed that work. Number two. GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley shocked viewers at a town hall in New Hampshire when commenting on the cause of the Civil War. Instead of stating slavery, the actual cause of the war, she said this. I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. Astonished voters responded by asking how she could not mention the word slavery. Haley asked, what do you want me to say about slavery, then moved on to the next question. Number three. A 14-year-old in Florida has been charged with murder after being accused of fatally shooting his older sister on Christmas Eve. His 15-year-old brother has also been charged with attempted murder after he allegedly shot the younger brother in retaliation for shooting his sister. The entire encounter allegedly occurred because of a dispute over Christmas gifts. The sheriff on the case says both boys have criminal histories. Mayor Eric Adams says the New York City Police Department will be deploying thousands of officers to the New Year's Eve ball drop for increased security. This is our Super Bowl. We plan for it all year long. Adams says the security measures are to prepare for pro-Palestinian protesters attempting to disrupt the celebration after having already interrupted this year's Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting and Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. Parents of a three-year-old toddler were in for a surprise early Christmas morning. The three-year-old requested requested scissors at 3 a.m. Why? To open every single present under the Christmas tree while the rest of the family remained asleep. The gifts opened included gifts for himself, the parents, and siblings. Future fodder for therapy for these siblings, right? <laughs> They're going to be talking about this to their therapist you know, decades from now. I feel like I would have woken up, seen the disaster, been like, I'm not cleaning this up, and went back to bed. Oh, so you're thinking about that end of it while the uh, the siblings are crying in the corner because their, parent, their, their gifts were opened. Uh, a sea, uh, like there were pictures that surfaced online. It was a sea of wrapping paper. Uh-huh. So crying kids, a mess. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> Duly noted. Thanks very much, Nicole. 
If you haven't heard this story, it's pretty amazing. Two men had gone out the day after Christmas scouting for fishing holes at a creek in northwest Indiana when something shiny in the distance caught their attention. Mario Garcia and his son-in-law had been ready to call it a day, but curiosity took hold. They went to check it out. As the fishermen got closer, they realized it was a mangled truck. Sticking his hand inside the cabin, Garcia moved an airbag out of the way to reveal something they hadn't realized. Somebody was in the driver's seat, as Garcia recounted at a news conference. I looked inside and moved the white airbag, and uh, he th- there was a body in there. The driver has a long way to recovery, but is grateful for the men who found him, and they say they felt fortunate for their curiosity. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Dom Savino, I'm Mike Gavin. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.